This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles once again. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9 as we continue our study through the book of Hebrews. If this is your first time at Prince, it is our normal habit to walk through books of the Bible. And we are this morning looking at Hebrews 9 verses 1 through 14. Hebrews 9, 1 through 14 on how it is that we receive from the Lord a clean conscience. While I was studying for this sermon, I came across an article in a medical journal that was talking about this metaphor that we often use of the weight of a guilty conscience. We use this as a metaphor. We, we say that what, what, a, what happens is guilt puts a heaviness in our conscience, in our inner sense of, of right and wrong. But what these doctors wanted to discover is if there was actually any physical weight that came upon someone who had guilt. They were wondering if maybe this wasn't just a metaphor uh, when we say the weight of a guilty conscience. Maybe there actually was a physical weight. And so uh, they tested this by having a group of people come and think about guilty thoughts. I'm glad I wasn't a part of this experiment. And then think about those for a while. And then they had them do certain activities. And then they would have another group of people come and not think about those thoughts, but think about different thoughts and then have them do the same activities. And what they found is that it was true that those who had those guilty feelings and thoughts, it took more effort for them to accomplish those physical things that they really were weighed down with guilt. Now, it really is fascinating, but the reality is I don't think we needed a study to tell us that that's true. I don't think they did either. As a matter of fact, I, I think the reason they were motivated to do that study is because they knew that it was true. They wanted to prove it, but they knew that there is nothing that weighs us down like guilt. This is why Psalm 32, David says, when I hid my sin, my body wasted away. So David said, I have sin and I'm not confessing it. I'm just hiding it. And what's happening is, well, I'm feeling the physical effects on my life from the guilt. And Jesus knew this when he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Come to me. All of you who are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He was specifically talking about those who are weighed down with guilt. Carrying around the extra weight of guilt and shame and condemnation. I think in that context, particularly talking about those who had received from the religious institution more guilt and more shame and condemnation. Feeling as if they could never do enough to please God. Jesus says, hey, come to me. And I want to remove that because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now that feeling of guilt, which all of us have experienced, comes from a place called our conscience. Our conscience is our inner God-given place in which we discern what is right and wrong. And God in his grace has given us a conscience. It is a gift from God. We need it. It protects us. I mean, think about what we do with a conscience. Imagine what we do if we didn't have one. Not only that, it's important to convict us of sin. This guilt is helpful because this guilt drives us to the answer, which is Jesus Christ. 
So we would be a total mess. Our world would be even a greater mess if we did not have a conscience. So God has given us this conscience to help us to know what is right and wrong. But there are two ways because of our sinful nature that our conscience can go wrong. It can begin to malfunction a little bit. The first way is that our conscience can become seared. 1 Timothy 4.2, Paul talks about this to Timothy, that there are those, this is a very dangerous thing, who have continued to receive guilt from their conscience, knowing they're doing something wrong, but they have rejected that guilt and have not repented, and over and over they have hardened their heart. And so while God is bringing this guilt in order to drive us to the cross, some people choose to just ignore it. Their heart gets hardened and calloused. And it says they really do have a seared conscience. They're no longer bothered by sin. And if you want to just have some fear of God in your life about a seared conscience, read Romans 1 and 2. Where there's people who've continued to reject the revelation of God. And at some point, God gives them over to their flesh for destruction. They've just rejected the Lord too many times. It's a dangerous thing to continue to say no to the Lord and have a seared conscience. But there's another way our conscience can go wrong, which is, is going to be most prevalent for us. Those who have chosen to come to church this morning, maybe you were raised in a church, and that is that one of the ways our conscience goes wrong is it can become oversensitive, meaning we can really be weighed down with an almost unbearable amount of guilt and shame and condemnation and criticism. And it could be like those Jesus was talking to in Matthew 11, who had grown up in the religious system, which put so much guilt upon the people. Maybe you felt in the context that you grew up in, there was so much law before you that you could never do enough, that no matter what you did, it didn't match what was needed to be done. And so the result of that is you're walking around loaded with this just heaviness. It could be that you have some unconfessed sin. Could be there's something that you're struggling with that no one knows but you. It's very heavy upon you. Maybe something in your past. Maybe something this morning. It could be something that you've done. Listen, it could be something that's been done to you. And because of what has been done to you, you're walking around with this incredible amount of shame and you know what I'm talking about, that it's not just a physical, I mean a spiritual heaviness, that physically you can feel the weight of walking around with all of the shame and guilt and condemnation. I heard someone say that guilt's like the snooze on your alarm clock. It goes off, you hit it, it goes away for a little bit, but it comes back and then it comes back and then it comes back and it comes back. This is the most amazing thing. I, I am not in any way making this up. I promise you this is true. Um, yesterday morning, I woke up with a thought about something in my past that I hadn't thought of in years and immediately felt guilty for it. This morning, it happened to me again. And what, what I thought about this morning was so distant and far removed. I don't remember the last time I thought about it, but it's almost as if the Lord was saying to me, Josh, I don't want you to just preach this. I want you to see if it works. I wish I could just preach it, to be honest with you. But man, this kind of guilt can mess you up. It can cause you to harm yourself. It can cause you to harm others. It can cause you to hate yourself. It can cause you to hate others. It can cause you to 
go into a spiral of depression and anger and anxiety, never really feeling forgiven or loved, not feeling accepted or ever feeling good enough. And doctors will tell us over and over all of the physical effects that come on those who are weighed down with this kind of guilt. Everything from sleeplessness to obesity to digestion to all kinds of muscle tensions. This is no joke. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you walked in here this morning carrying some heavy weight of guilt and shame. It's a miserable feeling. What if it could all be gone? <laughs> what, if, what if there was a way to, to have that conscience that is so weighed down with that guilty feeling to be wiped clean? Can you imagine what it would be like if you had no more shame or condemnation? And what if that constant feeling of wanting to hurt yourself or others or self-hatred that self-criticism, that snooze that kept going off, what if it was gone? What if there was a way that every time it came back up, you could immediately find a way to push it back out again? What if that weight, that physical heaviness and weight was lifted? Well, that's exactly what Hebrews 9 tells us is part of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That a part of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus has died, listen, that your conscience might be clean. That it may be wiped clean, that the shame, the condemnation, the guilt would be gone. That's possible in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 9, he is continuing this theme that we saw last week in Hebrews 8 of the covenant. The covenant is the way in which God establishes a relationship with people. So throughout the Old Testament, there's multiple covenants. And there is a new covenant in the New Testament with Jesus. What the author of Hebrews is saying is the old covenant had its place and it was useful, but now it's obsolete. We know that from the last verse of chapter 8. He says the new covenant makes the first one obsolete. It's growing old. It's vanishing away. We don't need it any longer because it was intended to point us to Jesus. So all of the old covenant is a shadow. The Old Testament is a shadow. Jesus, the New Testament, is the reality. So it doesn't mean we don't need the Old Testament. It means that we read the Old Testament with Christ in mind. And everything in the Old Testament makes sense with Christ in mind. This new covenant, the time in which we live, is in Jesus Christ. And it changes us, as we saw last week, from the inside out. The old covenant kind of cleaned us from the outside, but it could never get the inside. The new covenant starts on the inside and works its way outside. That's why when a person becomes a Christian, their outer transformation is honestly quite slow. Why? Because God starts here and he makes us a new creation. And then day by day, moment to moment, he changes us. But it is an internal moving external transformation. What God wants to do, particularly as we walk through this book of Hebrews, is to take down our old religious system, which made us feel like we constantly had to do enough to please God and others, and say, no, 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 that's not the new covenant. The new covenant tears down the old system and invites you into a personal, life-giving, spirit-infused, dynamic, day-by-day, moment-by-moment, living and active relationship with a real God. Some of you have never known that. You have only known system. God says, no, no, no. The reason that they wanted to kill Jesus is because he tore down their system and it was hard because their identity was in their system. They used their system to control everyone and Jesus crumbled it and said, no more system, just me. 
It's a wonderful, life-giving thing to walk with Jesus. What Hebrews 9 tells us is this. This new covenant does what the old covenant could not. This. It cleans our conscience. It cleans our conscience. If you're there in Hebrews 9, say amen. Listen to these words as I read 1 through 14. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, and the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Verse 6. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates, meaning through this old covenant, the Holy Spirit's showing us something, that the way into the holy place is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered, listen to this, that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation, meaning the time in which Jesus comes, the time we're in now. Here it is, that old covenant not able to take care of our conscience, but... When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not in this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, here it is, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of, bull, of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more, here it is, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. There is a way through the blood of Jesus Christ, for your conscience this morning to be purified, cleaned, and clear from the old dead works that you've done that did not bring life, they only brought death. So there's two parts to this text, and the reason I've put verses 1 through 14 together is because of the idea of conscience. See, at the end of verse 8 and 9, it says that the old covenant couldn't perfect our conscience, but in verse 14, the new covenant should. So that's why I see this text going together. And there's two parts, what the old covenant couldn't do and what the new covenant does for us. So let's look at the first one, verses 1 through 10. It tells us this, external rituals cannot erase internal guilt. Get that down. External rituals, no matter what they are, cannot erase internal guilt. That's what the old covenant teaches us. You have internal guilt, all of us do. We have shame. What this text wants you to know 
is that there is no amount of rituals you can do that can take care of the guilt and the shame inside of your heart. It's impossible to clean it from the outside in. It has to be cleaned from the inside out. And so the way he communicates that to us is taking us back to this old covenant. And he's saying in verse one, that in the first covenant, there was all these regulations for worship and this earthly place of holiness. So it talks about this tabernacle, which we saw last week. Moses went up to Mount Sinai. God gave him instructions. He came down, he built this tent and there was this outer court. And then there was a tent and there was two rooms in the tent and he describes those for us. The first section, there was a lampstand and a table and the bread of presence and that room was called the holy place. And the priest would go do lots of things there. We'll see that in a minute. But there was another room, so there, there was this tent and you walked in and the priest could go in to this first part and then there was another curtain and no one but the high priest could go through the second curtain and it said there was a second section, verse three, called the most holy place or the holy of holies. That had a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was manna to remind the people of their journey out of Egypt. Aaron's staff that budded and the table of the covenants, meaning that the Ten Commandments were in there. And above it, there were these cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. So the mercy seat just, just refers to the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where the high priest would go in and he would sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat as an atonement for the people's sins. Now listen, there is all kinds of things that we could say about this. And it really is glorious when you think about it because every single aspect of the tabernacle, I'm talking every aspect of has some symbolism for us and points us to Jesus Christ. And the truth is, as you get kind of deeper in the things of the Lord and you begin to maybe understand the Old Testament a little more, what happens is these things that you used to ignore that seem boring now become alive because you see how Jesus has made them alive. But we're not gonna talk about it anymore this morning because thankfully at the end of verse five, he says this, of these things we can't now speak in detail. And I think he says that because he knows how easy it would be to now spend 45 minutes talking about the details of the temple, but in doing so, we'd miss the point. So he says, I'm going somewhere, stay with me, because we just read that, that does, it seems confusing, we could get bogged down there. He says, don't get bogged down there, just know this. There was this temple, two rooms, the holy place was in the back, curtain in front of it. The Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat was there. But what about that second room? It says in verse seven, but the second room only the high priest goes. And he only goes once a year and he doesn't go without taking blood, which he offers for himself and the unintentional sins of the people. So once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. He would sacrifice a bull for his own sin and two male goats for the sins of the people with great fear of the awe and the heaviness of the presence of God. He would go into the presence of God and he would sprinkle the sin on the mercies. He would come back out and not go in until the next year. But here's what it says. It says, verse eight, look at this. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates, meaning this, listen, God is trying to show us something from that. I know you may think, well, that doesn't have anything to do with you, but it does because the Holy Spirit wants to speak through all of this. He says, here's what the Holy Spirit indicates, that the way into the holy place is not yet opened. Like not everybody can go there, only the high priest can go there. 
as long as that first section is still standing. And then he says this, according to this arrangement, there's gifts and sacrifice that are offered. So there's all these things that are offered, but they can't perfect the conscience of the worshiper. They only deal with the external things, with things like food and drink and various washings and regulations of the body. So all of that complicated stuff is simply trying to tell us this. First of all, in the old covenant, you couldn't get to God. The high priest got to God, but you could not personally walk into the very presence of God. So the high priest went in and he came back out and you stayed out while he went into the presence of God. And what we say over here all the time at Prince is we believe everything flows from the presence of God. Everything you need, everything you want, everything you long for is found in God's presence. So how will you ever be satisfied if you can't get into the presence of God? You were created for God's presence. But the old covenant says there wasn't a way in there, only the high priest. But the Holy Spirit is also teaching us through that, that these external rituals, which all had their place, there is no possible way any of them could take away the guilt. Look what it says. It says these sacrifices, they only deal with things like food and drink and various washings. They only take care of, of what he says is these unintentional sins. But what about our deliberate sins? What about the things we do on purpose? Well, the old covenant didn't take care of that. And the heaviest phrase is right there where it says they cannot perfect the conscience. Now listen to me. Our temptation is, is not this. Meaning your temptation is not to think that if you sacrifice enough goats, I, I hope this isn't your temptation, that, that you're going to appease your sins. But I will say this. We often think that some external ritual, whether it be what we give or the things that we do, our acts of service are somehow gonna make us clean. We all have some external rituals. But let me just tell you, there is no amount of self-harm. There is no amount of condemnation. There is no amount of gifts that you can give or money you can give or acts that you can do or good works that you can do that can ever take away the guilt and shame that is on your conscience. No external ritual can ever take care and erase internal guilt, nothing. And do you realize Christianity is the only religion that does not give you a thousand hoops to jump through in order to get your conscience clean, only leaving you disappointed, finding out you can never, ever do it because you can never do more good than all the things you're ashamed of. I wouldn't have any hope in that system. But there's a better way. And that's what it tells us in verses 11 through 14. That those external rituals cannot erase internal guilt. But listen, here's the second point this morning. Write this down. Eternal redemption can erase internal guilt. Eternal redemption can erase internal guilt. So it says when this time of reformation comes, the time of Jesus, the time we live in now. It says this, verse 11, but... When Christ appeared as a high priest. And so Christ appeared. Christ showed up. This is the part of the new covenant. And he came as a high priest. We said this last week. Why? Because you have to have a priest. You cannot get to God on your own. You have to have a mediator. So Jesus came as the high priest of the good things that have come, this new covenant. And he went not into the earthly tabernacle that Moses built or the temple that Solomon built. He didn't go into that. He went into the real temple, into the very presence of God. And he went into the very presence of God, which only the perfect son of God could do. 
And he took some blood to sprinkle on the mercy seat. But it wasn't the blood of bulls and goats. He took his own blood to the mercy seat and he sprinkled it there. So the blood of the very perfect son of God was sprinkled. And it says in verse 12, so he went there once and for all to the holy place. And not by the means of blood and goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood. And listen, when the perfect son of God laid down his life and his blood was shed for our sins, it was a once and for all sacrifice. And what he did is he took his own blood and put it on the mercy seat. And here's the result. It secured an eternal redemption. Secured an eternal redemption. Now, redemption refers to buying someone, purchasing someone, delivering someone through the price of a ransom. If someone needed to be redeemed, there had to be a ransom paid to redeem them. And so our situation was we were enslaved to sin and hell. We were enslaved to the lust of the flesh. We were enslaved to our guilt and our shame, completely enslaved. There's no way we could get out of it. Colossians 1 says we were uh, slaves in this domain of darkness. But what happened is this. Jesus, in a desire to purchase us and to bring us to himself, gave a ransom. And the ransom was his blood. So he shed his blood to purchase us out of that fear and out of that slavery. Mark 10.45 says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mean through his very death, he was paying for you. That was the price. That's what it cost to free you and deliver you. His blood was the price of our redemption. This is why Revelation 5, 9 says this. With your blood, you have purchased for God from every tribe and language and people and nation people. By his blood, he has purchased us. And this is why we sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. What did he do? He washed it white as snow. So look at what he says in verses 13 and 14. He gives does this argument from lesser to greater. He says, now in the old covenant, the blood of goats and bulls, the sprinkling that they sprinkled the blood of defiled persons. So sinful people went into the altar and, and sprinkled blood on there and took the ashes of the heifer. And if that sanctified our flesh, so that was good enough to take care of the externals. So if, if that helped, how much more would the very blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, how much more will the perfect son of God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What he's saying is this, is the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover not just your sin, but all of the guilt and shame and condemnation that came along with it. So just imagine your conscience being like this and it's filled with guilt and shame and there's all these things that are going around in there and they keep popping up and like happened to me yesterday and this morning, these things just come and you don't even know where they're coming from, but they're, they're there and there's lots of them. Just imagine what happens is that we see all of those things, but when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ it's like it covers that completely. So when God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see all of those things. He sees the blood of Christ. He sees that all of those things have been paid for and they've been, they've been done away with. So all of the guilt and shame 
has been eternally dealt with through Jesus Christ. Again, this is why we sing, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is why we sing, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners who plunge beneath the flood, listen, lose all their guilty stains. This is why 1 John 1, 7 says, the blood of Christ has cleansed us from all sin. And this is exactly why Romans 8 says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. So listen, if you're in Christ Jesus and you're constantly feeling that condemnation, that's not from the Lord. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. And I love how that goes with this last verse. Look at what it says. He purifies our conscience from those old dead works so that we might serve the living God. In other words, He wants to remove the weight and the heaviness so you might move forward in serving him. Not out of duty, but out of desire and and delight. And remember, the whole goal of Hebrews is to get you to set your mind on Jesus and to run the race with endurance that is set before you. Think about that. How are you going to do that if you're carrying around a backpack of guilt and shame and condemnation? You can't. You can't. Some of you are trying to run really hard, but you can't because you're carrying an unnecessary weight. Jesus wants to take it. See, the thing about guilt is it really is a gift. I mean, God gives us this conscience, but but what it's meant to do, listen, it's meant to drive us to the cross, not to drive us to condemnation. So we do feel guilt, and we should, but what do we do with it? Well, we get right. I would just say two practical things. The first thing we do is we get right with others. Some of you have sinned against someone else terribly, and as much as you can, as much as is in your power to do so, you should be right with all people. Some of you need to call someone or go to someone's house, call a mom and dad, a brother, a sister, a spouse. You need to make something right. You need to apologize and specifically make that known. But it really begins with getting right with God. I mean, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, listen, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what it means to be a believer? To be a believer means that you have faith that what Jesus did for you is enough. That's what it means to be a believer. What you're saying is, God, I've tried and I can't do it myself. So I'm, I'm, I'm throwing myself at the mercy of Jesus Christ and asking that what you did would be enough for me. And listen, part of that is what it says in chapter 8, verse 12. For I will be merciful towards their iniquity. Listen, and I will remember their sins no more. You don't need to keep remembering what God has already forgotten. You do not need to keep remembering what God has already forgotten. And listen, part of trusting Christ is trusting that he does not remember that and you don't have to either. That's a part of being a believer. I'm believing that what Christ did is sufficient to take away my sins. So what happens is this. When the enemy, Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren, comes to you and brings those accusations from your past that you have already confessed 
When that condemnation comes, what do you do? You take it immediately to the cross. And you remember that it was paid for there. And you don't have to live with that any longer because Jesus already covered it by his blood. And to keep living with it acts like the death of Jesus was not sufficient for your sins. We've been singing this song lately that says, oh, how I love the voice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Because he declares that his work is finished and he has spoken this hope to me. Listen to those words. It is finished. Your sin paid for. There's sufficient covering for every sin that you've ever committed under the blood of Jesus Christ. And what salvation is, salvation is resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is no longer striving with all kinds of penance to get right. It is saying, I'm resting in what Christ has already done. Listen, Jesus has already accomplished everything God required of you. Jesus already accomplished everything God has required of you. So just rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And be reminded that his blood is sufficient to cover every single sin. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.